Welcome to Liberty's Talk, the podcast of Liberty's Journal. I'm Celeste Marcus, managing editor of Liberty's and the host of this podcast on which I talk with our writers and the larger Liberty Circle about whatever is on our minds. This episode of the podcast was particularly fun for me to make. It's a conversation between me, Becca Rothfeld, and Agnes Callard about motherhood, and really it's just me and Becca um, expressing our anxieties about the prospect of motherhood at Agnes, whom we consider to be um, a model mother and overall female. Um, and she was an endless font of wisdom as ever uh, and infinitely patient with us. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed making it. Before getting into the podcast, I just want to let you know that Liberties is excited to announce a partnership with the organization Interintellect, which is reinventing the classical French salon for the Zoom era. Um, once a month, I or Leon will be hosting a salon on Zoom with one of our writers. Um, the first 30 minutes of the salon will be a conversation between the host and the writer, and then we will open up the conversation to attendees for anybody to ask questions or share their thoughts on the subject. Um, and typically, inter-intellect salons cost money, but the, this series will be free to Liberty's subscribers. So subscribers will be getting... Um, a coupon in their email uh, a week or two before the event and they will be able to sign up for it um, free of charge. The first salon will be with Benjamin Moser, Pulitzer Prize winning author of the book Sontag. Um, and the salon will be between me and him about his new book called The Upside Down World. That will be May 7th, a Sunday at 2 p.m. Uh, and I hope that you will join us for it. Both Becca and I are extremely anxious about the prospect of motherhood. Um, I assume that our anxieties are like related, but not um, the same. So, and both of us, both of us believe that Agnes is kind of like a model for the kind, both the kind of mother that we want to be, and in many ways, the kind of woman we want to be. I certainly feel that way. So, like, <laughs> maybe it's possible to both be a mom and not be subsumed into your children and you are an example of that and that's definitely one of the anxieties that I have so anything you want to add before we begin peppering no I mean maybe we should just both say briefly what our anxieties about motherhood are in yes. that part we're able to articulate them okay you go first Becca oh god um <laughs> I don't know that I, I I can go. Yeah, first. I mean, I have a lot of stupid, vain anxieties that just pertain to the sort of physical ordeal of pregnancy. I mean, maybe more reasonable ones like, what if I have some kind of outrageous complication and I die or develop diabetes forever? And then less reasonable ones that still feel urgent to me, like, what if I gain weight forever or lose all my hair? Um, but then, of course, there's, uh, I don't know, maybe the more reasonable concerns about. Um, about your identity being subsumed, about everybody that you encounter thinking of you primarily as a mother as opposed to primarily an intellectual, which is something that you, Agnes, seem to have totally avoided. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. Your, your project's being subordinated to this sort of project. I guess I feel firmly that the best way to be a good person in a relationship to others is to have projects of your own. Um, mm. And so I think that if you used to have projects of your own you cease to be able to be a good partner to anybody else or a good mother to anybody else and so I fear that if you become sort of reduced to a mother uh you don't really have anything to offer your children mm -hmm. yeah those are some that's of interesting okay probably not exhaustive um, I'm tired I should have thought about this more but I didn't you're allowed to come up with other ones as the podcast progresses that guy grant you permission um great Okay, I, I definitely have some of those anxieties also. I mean, I think um, the biggest thing for me, the thing that I worry about, like most actively is that I really, I really do believe that there is no way to not egregiously mess up being a parent. I think that it's just impossible. Um, I think that the more active and like the, the more you love your child uh, which hopefully you will I certainly certainly hope that I do um assuming I have them which I think I will uh like the more opportunity body, like, there is to just like, you know, what what'd you say 
I said your body drugs you into loving them, so don't worry, you would. <laughs> okay. But it's like it, it really worries me that like you're just like I think that your capacity to screw them up like far exceeds your capacity to understand how you screwed them up or to like predict how you're going to do it. It's just gonna happen and that really scares me. Um at like being mm. responsible, being so responsible for the creation of another human being such that like whatever it is whatever it is that is messed up about them will probably be in some way your fault. And like, in addition to that fact, you also love them a lot. That just like really scares me. Um, and then like, I do worry. I, I don't like, I'm not afraid of how my body will change except in so far as I know that I am, I am like, I'm afraid of the enormity of it. I'm afraid of literally feeling my body become like the purpose of it be less about me than protecting another person and um Simone de Beauvoir writes about this really well at the beginning of the second sex like in the in the biology section um where it's like she's just describing the way that a woman unlike or a biological woman unlike a man will have the experience if she carries a child of like having her body be functioning at best when it is not functioning primarily for her and i'm not it's not like i'm jealous of the 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 creature that i will be holding it's more that i just am like kind of gobsmacked at the idea of being so altered um and i would love to hear it from you agnes about like i know that it's different for everybody obviously every answer that you can give us will be in some sense anecdotal but i'm just so curious to hear what pregnancy was like for you I really enjoyed the fact that when I was pregnant, I was achieving something even when I wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. When you put so, it like that, it sounds desirable. <laughs> <laughs> it's like something, I was like involved in an important project that, that required no effort on my part. Mm. That, that was freeing. Did you feel like that um, all the time? Yeah, I, I really hated the nausea. That was the part of pregnancy I really really hated um at uh and it got worse with each pregnancy which is normal that's the way it tends to go oh really um yeah uh it um uh I had a weird thing which was like I just couldn't I couldn't see that I looked pregnant like I would look in the mirror and I would ask people like do I look pregnant and have I like gained weight and I had gained tons of weight in my first pregnancy I gained like oh, 90 pounds just <laughs> like an insane amount of weight because I I kept on um I kept on um um uh uh like just thinking that I looked normal and then asking people and then like looking in the mirror and I still look normal like I couldn't believe that I was being transformed and so I couldn't see it um and so and I had this thought like I should just I should eat a lot because like you know I want the baby mm-hmm. to have a lot of food which I knew was wrong like I had even read in books that that was wrong but I couldn't really get myself not to think in that way uh and mm-hmm. I, I I didn't read like I started reading these books and they were very like scoldy you know like uh uh if you have like a muffin that's a good treat for that day or something there's like a lot of books on pregnancy and diet and I'm just like okay this, I don't want to hear this and so I went oh, really in the other direction um, really, really far in the other direction. And yet I still couldn't actually see that I looked so totally different. Um, it was like, I couldn't see my own pregnancy in the mirror, which is just a weird phenomenon. I don't know if that's a thing that happens to other people. It did not happen with my other pregnancies. It just happened with my first pregnancy. The whole way through, yeah, I mean, like up to nine months? Up to, I can't remember. So like up to really far where like, I really, like people kept asking me if I was gonna, if I was having twins, like I looked so oh pregnant. um and uh even at that point I was like I don't think I look pregnant um but I probably was not all the way up to nine months but it was still far like seven or eight months and uh and I you know yeah I I was showing like pretty early on yet not to myself Um, your body didn't feel like alien to you uh, I guess because like that's one of the big concerns that I have is like you know, like most female people, I have struggled with eating disorders. So I'm like hyper conscious of like changes in my body. And I, I imagine I would have like almost a dissociative relationship to just like, you know, even maybe not even gaining more weight than I should or anything like that. But just like, it's hard for me to imagine a sort of feeling like I have ownership over my body when something so dramatic is happening to it, that it sort of feels like I maybe have no part in. 
or like that I'm not consciously willing. Like I'm I'm used to changing my body by rigorous exercise and kind of just mm. like moving through pain. And it kind of seems like pregnancy is almost like the inverse of that, like a physical uh, a physical process that you have little agency over. You're not doing anything. You're not exerting tons of effort and sort of like killing yourself and yet it's happening. I feel like that would be a strange experience. Yeah. So it, it uh, I, it's, it's, the, it's surprisingly slow. <laughs> and I think that it's like, there's this like massive transformation, but it's, it's a pretty slow transformation. And so it's not like you wake up one morning and you look different. And I think I kind of kept expecting that to happen. Um, I kept being like, okay, what's the day when I'm going to wake up and I'm going to feel pregnant. And, uh, you know, I even that was past the point where I was feeling the baby move. And I'm like, but I still don't look pregnant. Everyone I was like, you do look pregnant. Um, and, and I think I was sort of almost expecting a sudden, some kind of sudden change. And there was no sudden change, obviously. Um, but I don't, I, I didn't feel, it didn't feel very alien to me. Um, the culture of pregnancy felt alien to me. Like the, just the sort of uh, expectations around me, like to, behave differently and eat differently and uh uh for it to be the topic of conversation and uh all of that that was that was weird to me um but uh but I didn't it it wasn't very very weird in a bodily way for me I guess that's kind of comforting I mean what is the culture around pregnancy like I suppose I haven't even thought about that that much so the way it struck me when I first, you know, stepped into it, and I was like the first among all my, fr- I was like 26, so I was young, and I and I didn't know anyone who had a, like a kid recently, and I was just very, um, uh, uh, you know, like jumping into at the deep end, right? Um, it just struck me that people were very, very concerned over and had strong views and spent a lot of time deliberating over questions that were not important, so. Like how you what give people? birth, whether you give birth, everyone in the pregnancy world, at pregnancy and early uh, baby care, right? It so was there's like, questions like, like random people, give... like acquaintances of yours were not like coming up to you and giving you advice about, also, where were you in life? Were you in, were you done I was in Berkeley. School? I was in grad school. Oh, you were in no, grad school. I was in school. grad okay. school. Okay. Yeah. Um, I was in grad school. Like I sought out people who like new mothers or, um, you know, uh, uh, a new mom's group, um, there was like a hospital like group that you were supposed to join that was like talking about giving birth. Um, There's also just like all these decisions early on with the baby, like, you know, how the baby sleeps and what kind of diaper it wears and what kind of food it gets. And, and like all of these decisions, it seemed to me like, well, either way, it's fine. The baby's going to survive like one way or the other, either way, you're going to give birth one way or the other. And, but like this massive amount of like intellectual energy and effort and books and things were written on like these these decisions that seem to me like having very little to do with the substance of parenting. So that's the weird, like there's, there's, there's parenting and then there's baby world and baby world is really different from parenting. I think baby world is obsession over differences that have little, that make a little difference. I mean, that's Were there anxieties that you had? Sorry, go ahead, Becca. I mean, I'm basically just going to say that I've been trying really hard to find books about pregnancy, childbirth, decision to become a mother that seem like they have actual philosophical substance to them and really struggling. I just reviewed two books. I think my piece will be out by the time that this goes up so I can say this about about this issue, one of which was kind of unsatisfying to me, the other of which was a good book but didn't really sort of address these kinds of questions. So, I mean, it's satisfying to hear that you agree that the stuff that's written isn't satisfying basically not really a question Celeste you should probably say what you had to say which is probably more fruitful I just wonder if there were other questions that you did have that you kind of had like it sounds like you sought out these communities which I mean I can't imagine myself ever intentionally seeking out a community unless like my partner was coercing me into doing that which seems likely um but I I just like wonder if you were going if you were going to find these people were you were you hoping to find um like a community of people who were who were asking the same questions that you did have and if that's the case what were the questions that you did have that weren't being asked it sounds like you were frustrated because you were you were seeking a certain kind of um companionship that you weren't able to find and i just wonder what what that was what what did what did you think people should have been paying attention to yeah i mean i had this odd experience which is that i kept um starting new moms groups uh, like i kept <laughs> starting new ones 
It's um, like going I must to have started shows. five or six of them. Yeah, yeah, and and I would like it was not that hard to start them. Like I'd put out things on Craigslist, and I would get the group together, and then we would talk. And I'm like, okay, that was terrible. I got to find like another group of people. And I just keep retrying it, and then and then it took me like five or six times before I'm like, wait, maybe I'm the problem. Oh, <laughs> maybe these people are fine, but then, <laughs> um, so like there were a couple of things. Like some of them were just slight. Like if I think back on them, they sound slightly insane, but they were the thoughts going through my head. So one of them was like you know, we go to these new mom groups and we have like, we would like put our, like say, say sit around in a circle and put like a blanket down and like put our babies down in the blanket. And so one thing is everybody wants to talk about like their birth experience. Mm. And that was like, I don't want to talk that much about that. I mean, I was fine talking about it, but I didn't find that interesting. So that was one thing. But the main thing was mm. that it was like this conceit that all our babies were equal. Like, oh, you're your baby, <laughs> they're my baby. And I was like, yeah, but my baby's obviously better than all your other babies. Like, oh look at how like smiley. And like, look at how your guys just cry. Mine doesn't cry. And like, he's just obviously so smart. And like, I felt like it was like the elephant in the room. Um, oh my God. That we weren't allowed to talk about. <laughs> that is exactly and... like school. That's exactly like synagogue. <laughs> wow. Um, but I, I guess if I had, like, it just didn't occur to me that there could even be real, like, philosophy of this thing that, you know, this is, this was 20 years ago. Mm. Um, and the thought that I had, like, another thought, the, the proto-philosophical thought that I had that I never developed was, like, you know, it's, it is a bit, having a baby is a bit, like, splitting into two people. And then, mm-hmm. and then the, there's this question, like, which of the people am I, <laughs> right? Like, where does my I go? And, um, mm. And I think that part of why you feel a bit insane, um, I felt a bit insane in the, you know, let's say first year after my son was born was like, I felt a little bit like the me was the baby, not me, right? That I had split wow. into two and me was the other one. Um, and that like a hor- was that a good experience? To me, that sounds like a horrifying experience. <laughs> It would be horrifying if I also thought, oh, but I'm really me over here. But if you actually just thought that that's you, like, that's part of why I was like, I was thinking, I was like entering these mother's groups from the point of view of my baby and wanting to be like talking about how like my baby was really great. And that turned out not to be the thing you talk about in mother's groups. Um, And like, it didn't, it didn't feel like, oh, this is myself is over here, but my real self is back here. It just, it really felt like my real self was the baby. So, um, so it didn't bother me. Yeah, I guess and there was like sense. this gradual transfer of self back it's, it's to It's like me. death, you know, it's the kind of thing that once you experience it, it no longer bothers you. But when you're contemplating it before it happens to you, it can terrify you. Yeah, it's, I think that's right. It's just I was like very death. non-anxious. Uh, I was very non-anxious before. Like, I just didn't think about it. There's a lot of stuff where people now ask me about, like, they think about plans for their lives. And I, I make me realize that I went through my life not making many plans. And I just always thought I'd want kids. And then I was also... also always thought I had a lot of trouble having them. And, hmm. uh, and so I was just like really grateful to be pregnant and uh, I, I didn't really plan for it. And I didn't look into like how I was going to deal with it or, so I, I was kind of like, okay, how do I do this? Once it had already started. Um, but I, there wasn't anything I did to allay my anxieties because I didn't have anxieties because I didn't think about it. But you definitely wanted them the whole time. Yes. Ever since I was like, a kid myself. And you know, what was why? that desire? What was the content of that desire? Yeah, that's what I wonder too. <laughs> I think I've always, especially I've always gotten along with like kids younger than me. Mm-hmm. And like, even in high school, like I did tons of babysitting and I got along really well with younger kids. I just think kids are fun. Yeah, I'm um, a kid They're illiterate. They don't know any philosophy. Haven't read anything. Don't know what to say to them. But I assume mm-hmm. that I would like my own baby my body drugging me, you know. And you can like, you know, you can turn them into whatever you want. So you want them to be literate and into philosophy, just talk philosophy to them and make them read stuff. Do you worry about influencing them too much, like molding them too much, being too much of a force in their lives? I worry about that. I don't worry about it um, at all um, because I don't uh, like, kids are amazingly um they just fight back against any influence that you try to put on them and so anything that survives that fight I figure is what was worth it um Mm, uh, but they're very um resistant 
um, like, you know, once they get to the age where you actually could be influencing them. So, mm -hmm. um, that doesn't, uh, worry it doesn't worry me. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I think feel like in my entirely anecdotal experience, it's more likely that people will revolt against their parents and do the opposite of what their parents tried to get them to do. I mean, I feel worried that like my children will rebel against me and my artistic inclinations by becoming corporate bankers and then I'll have to do something <laughs> like that. I worry if I should try to do like reverse psychology. I mean, I'm speaking as if I know I'm going to have kids and I obviously don't, but you know, should I pretend that I'm really into corporate banking or something? So I'm making them revolt and do something cool. <laughs> It's really that would be so convincing, Becca. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I just right. want you to work for Goldman Sachs. That's my fondest desire for you. Yeah, and they'll be like, "You think we're fucking idiots, Rebecca Rothfeld? We're your children." Like, <laughs> <laughs> my mom thinks we're dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like one thing is that wh whatever you are, your kids see you as a little bit of a parody of that thing. So like my uh -huh. kids see me as like a parody of like somebody who likes Socrates and uh, like they're always bringing that up like, oh, you're probably gonna talk about Socrates now, you know? And like, so it's oh. like, if I were trying to like press them to be like me, it's just, they, they already have the thought that like I'm associated with a set of things. And then it's, it's not that they're repelled from those things. It's just like, they, they have a very concrete caricature of who I am. Um, do they all have the same conception of you? How many are there? Three? I, three, yes. Um, I, ha I think pretty similar except for different degrees of sophistication because of different ages. But, um, okay. but I think that like all three of them are inclined like if I say anything, if I say something like whatever, I don't want to know about that or something. It's like a side comment or a comment that'd be like, what you're a philosopher you can't ever say that or you know like holding uh, me sweet. to it um, uh -huh. <laughs> that's cute yeah that is cute i like that if i had kids i hope they would do that to me you don't want to read worry. that book but your book today you have to read every book exactly they have to read your books that's scary i worry um i worry a lot about not having like the maternal nerve endings that certain people do like not knowing mm. I worry okay I guess like I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this like I worry that I'm not gonna not that I won't know when something's wrong because I think I I will know but that I won't know how to get them to talk to me or I won't know how to fix things that like I mean I know how I know how difficult I was as a child I don't think that I would have been an easy child to mother. I think that I had, there was like a lot of drama. There was a lot of um, loneliness and unhappiness. I'm, I'm fine at it, like whatever. But, but you know, like I'm, I'm like overstating it now. I, I was not like a miserable child, but there, the things that I did go through, like that most, I don't know, people who like read books at a young age go through, um, I think. I, I worry that like I wouldn't know how to help them through that. That's That scares me a lot. Do you feel like... I don't know, does the advice come easy? Does the wisdom suddenly materialize in your brain when it needs to? Like, is that something that you found frustrating or or not? I don't know. I found, I found that parenting work involves actually very, very little of giving advice. Um, maybe mm. somehow me or my kids or something, but I've always thought, imagined parenting would involve lots of good. My kids don't ask me for advice and they don't tend to, like, yes, some occasionally very concretely, and it depends on the kid, like my middle right. son more by far more than the other two. Um, but um, uh, I think, so here's the thing about parenting is that the first stage of it is your kid is a blob and you just have to keep them alive. And yeah. when you did that for a while, that builds your confidence that, you know, you know how to parent mm -hmm. this person and you know how to parent them better than anybody else because they become dependent and reliant on you and they can distinguish you from other people and you're the person they go to for care. And that makes you also feel like you're the person in charge of caring for them and stuff. So it's, it, mm -hmm. yes, the thing Becca said about like your body tricks you into loving them is true, but also this early process where you do relatively easy stuff, but then it seems sort of impressive to you that you've kept this being alive for a while. Now you feel sort of tied to them. Mm. It's exactly like having a pet. It's exactly yeah. like what? Having a pet, having a dog. I mean, this is completely my relationship <laughs> to my dog is like, I'm so proud of myself for like keeping him alive and like teaching him how to sit. 
And like now he loves <laughs> me because I'm the one who did that. Yeah, I think it's very much like that. And he doesn't ask me for advice. Right. Kafka knows everything. But then they, they become old, and, or at least they become old enough to like ask some people for advice. But I mean, do they ask for more advice when they're like out of infancy? So when they can speak, certainly that goes up. But, um, but I, like, I guess I think that um, how um, I, I, I do think not quite advice, but there's something in the vicinity where you want you want your kid to feel inclined to talk to you. I think that's important, um, regardless of whether they're asking you for advice or not. Um, but you want them to feel like they can just say their day or their world out loud or, um, and, and I think that with different kids bringing that about, like it's different and some kids are just more reserved and like, that's not necessarily anything about you. And some kids are also more like, I'm going to talk to this one parent, not the other parent. I'm going to talk to my siblings and not my parents or, um, but I guess I, I do think bringing them out in terms of creating like an environment where they want to, to talk. Like I, and it's different for my different kids, like under what circumstances are they going to want to talk? Um, uh, so I, I do think that's something where you sort of hone in on it, but you have like a lot of time to figure that out. You know, I, I took notes on your anxieties and I feel like um, I haven't addressed the one where you're reduced by others to being a mother. Yes, I'm very interested in that. I suppose I will add an anxiety, which maybe you can also respond to, which is speaks entirely to sort of a poverty of my own life but I don't I don't feel like there are many models around me of good parent child relationships I hope my own mm. parents don't listen to this but I don't think that they would be shocked to hear me say this I mean I don't speak mm. to my mother so I won't go into the details of why so that's not a model for like a good mother child relationship but I feel like among most of my friends and intimates they have at best a sort of like condescending affection for their parents. Like they'll mm. suffer when their parents visit them, but they don't think that they could talk to their parents about Max Weber or something of like deep mm-hmm. importance or something like that. And I don't want, I wouldn't want to have that kind of relationship to my child, but since that's the only kind of relationship I see modeled, uh, I'm worried that sort of everyone just thinks their parents are like losers and just doesn't really want to talk to them about anything real, even if they don't hate them or have animosity with them the way I do with my parents. Mm, that's interesting. I okay, that's a very different question from the um, you know, being reduced to being a mother. So I think that I guess the way I think about my kids for when they're like, you know, adults is like they get to have free reign at that point. And like my goal is like that they um become awesome people. And, um, and, and like, in a way I don't have like such strong goals for like, what is their, should their relationship be with me? I mean, I hope it's a good relationship and I, you know, um, uh, hope that we like spend time together and stay, you know, stay in touch in a variety of ways and whatever, but like, but I'm going to be a small part of their lives. I'm going to be pretty insignificant at that point in the way that everyone's parents are pretty insignificant in their lives, mostly. Okay. Maybe there's some exceptions <laughs> among this group, but in general, our parents become less important to us um, than, you know, let's say they were when we were younger and less important than we are to them. And I just expect that with my kids. Um, and I'm excited for them to just like get to be people out in the world and doing stuff. And that's kind of, I think that's kind of the point of parenting as I see it. It's like create new people that do awesome stuff in the world. And, um, and uh, uh, so in terms of like their relationship with me, um, yeah, I don't, I, when they're adults, I don't think about that so much, but I do think about the relationship with me now (laughs) and that is important to me. And, um, I guess I find it pretty important to be able to like have to do things. The thing, the thing Becca, you said about how you have to have projects. I actually feel like you kind of need projects with your kids too. Like you have to just have things you're doing, um, uh, with them, like with my, um, uh, with my um 14 year old we bake like a lot and while we're baking we'll like talk like it's easier to talk when you're not just talking it's easier to talk when you have something else that you're doing there was like a thing i used to do with my 10 year old and we haven't done it in a while and i think he's probably too old for it but 
we read the pip we so I read books with my a lot of books with my 10 year old like read out loud to him and stuff and one time we read the pippy long stocking books and in one of the books she does this thing called thing finding where she just like walks around in alleys and like finds junk and he wanted to do that and so we would do that every once in a while we'd like walk around in the alleyways near our building and like find garbage and but he saw it as like treasures and then we'd like try and do something with it like glue it all together or whatever right like, he loved this he loved thing finding um and uh and we could like chat and talk and like compare different alleyways and whatever it was like it was like a way to have a conversation and so I feel like you're always kind of looking for occasions to sort of connect with them and they generally have to be a bit indirect hmm I like that I also like this idea of parenthood as just creating cool new people in the world I mean that's a very not selfish way of thinking about parenthood. I think most of my concerns about parenthood are like entirely selfish. They're like, will my kids like me less? Like what will I contribute to the world in the form of a person? Yeah. If you think about it that way, it's exciting. It's like, right. It's brand new. I mean, I want to create like a little army of people who are like into Ingmar Bergman and Tarkovsky and like have them populate the world. So if that's what pregnancy is about, I'm probably here for it. <laughs> yeah. I do think there's a little bit of that, actually. Like I, you know, I made the people I want to talk to, right? Like that is, <laughs> I normally you don't get to like decide what people are going to be like, but kids are a little bit like that. It's just that you're right, Becca, there's a lag, but it's like, I want them to be people who will have a conversation and who will just sort of expect that that's you're supposed to have conversations and like my kids will often come home from like go to other people's house and I remember my oldest one was the first one but they've all done this and they're like do you know that like when other people have dinner they don't talk about anything at dinner like in other houses they're just not talking about things (laughs) and it was like my kids never even knew that was a possibility of like that you don't have like something you're discussing over dinner or something they 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 were raised (laughs) we're raised not to know that that was an option, right? And that's an amazing thing you can do with your kids is just not make them aware of certain options as even options. And then, you, and then you're in the space you want to be in. Yeah, that does sound great. This is a good advertisement, I think, for parenthood, <laughs> as I hoped it would be. I know, okay, so but I wanted like to address... A lot of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I had been... I had, I had wanted to address Becca's earlier worry about... Uh, does everyone start thinking of you as a mother and not as an intellectual? Although I'm not sure why I'm saying I want to address this because I don't know what to say about it. Um, <sighs> I, um, I, I just didn't find this was a big problem. Um, I, um, I mean, you are often encountering people. In, typically, you encounter people in professional contexts and your kids aren't there. And when your kids aren't there, although you're thinking about them, other people are not. So they will, yeah, I think that that's why they, they just don't, even if they will ask you often, like people will ask you if you have kids um, or they'll, or they'll sort of try to work the conversation around. Cause like, I think with any woman, somehow people feel the need to answer that question. <laughs> like, I don't really know who you are until I know like, okay, where were you born? And like, what's your job? And do you have kids? Um, so people will mm-hmm. ask you that, but, 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 you know, they're not like, if it's another mother, they may want to bond over it. Um, but um, otherwise, um, if your kids aren't present, they're not that present to mind for other people, I think. And you find okay, that Celeste. you're thinking about them a lot? Yeah, I do have a yeah. question. Um, yeah, I, so I actually found that the, in a way that my frustrations are the opposite of what Becca said, I, like especially when my kids were like, you know, certain po- certain points in their life when they're go- they, I have a new baby or they're going through a crisis or something and I like, I want to talk about it. And then I'm in some context where it's like not appropriate for me to just start talking about my kids. And I've come up with like a lot of ways like to talk about my kids when it wouldn't otherwise be socially acceptable um, by making it interesting Mm -hmm. enough that I'm like, look, uh, like my kids are just more interesting than regular kids. And so it's okay for me to break some social conventions and just like talk about my kids a lot. Um, So in fact, I've like gone the other way um, where I like find, find ways of talking about them. I'm sure that's what I think that they think they're more interesting than other kids. Uh, They think that they are more philosophical than other kids. And they are. I think they are. Yes. (laughs) They correctly think that. Cause I, they, (laughs) I'm thinking of doing, I'm thinking of doing a night owls with them in November. Oh my God. Uh, Should you throw away your kids Halloween candy? 
Oh, yes. Oh, that's so good. That's so, so good. I mean, they're going to say and, no, I'm sure. And I'm like, and I'm like, um, uh, what? Sorry, should you throw away your kids' helping candy and other parenting dilemmas? Like, I'm going to talk to them about parenting and about parental restrictions and how parents should act in relation to kids and stuff. And I was like, guys, you know, maybe why don't we also like add um, some some of your friends, like some kids from school or whatever, they could also be up there and we could talk to them too, just so it's not just my kids who get different perspectives and they're just like, no, no way. Like those other kids don't have Why? any ideas. <laughs> oh um, no. See, I'm really afraid of raising brats. That really scares me. What if they deserve to be brats? What if they actually like better art than the other kids? My kids are going to like better art than the other kids. <laughs> I don't want them to think they're better than the other kids. Even, I mean, it's like, first of all, I really believe that whether or not you are smarter than other people has very little to do with whether or not you are you think you are smarter than other people. And I don't want to raise kids who think that they're smarter than other people. In part, like I don't want them to be. I want them to be curious about what other people think, and I don't want them to think that like the most interesting thought in the room is the thought that they're having. Because even if like they're having interesting thoughts, I want them to be. I want them to be like curious about what they might not have thought of. And like I find that kids who are raised to believe that probably rightly or wrongly like come from very intellectual houses and they were raised to believe that they probably are having more interesting thoughts than other people just aren't curious in a way that really limits them in the long run and makes them less interesting than they would otherwise be oh i think it, my kids think of this intellectual thing as like a little bit of a private family hobby and so it's it's not that they it. think they're That's better funny. than the other kids it's just like they're like these kids don't know how to do this thing that you're doing like right. they're not they're they're not gonna like be able to get up there on a stage and like say ideas because they like haven't had any practice in it. So, uh, uh, um, mm-hmm. um, like I, I this I when I was uh what was it a year ago I went to uh, like um uh like a fifth grade classroom I was going to a fifth grade classroom to teach them philosophy. Someone emailed me and asked, "Would you come to my fifth grade classroom and teach and talk to them about philosophy?" And I was talking to my kids about how I was going to do it. And my like youngest son, who was I guess then eight or nine, um was like, look, just, he like gave me a whole bunch of tips. <laughs> um, Cause he was like, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be a disaster. I'm like, I'm going to be great. Like, I thought I'd be great. I'm like, no problem. Like the, the person who was teaching it was the teacher of the class was like, have you, have you done this before? I'm like, no, but like, I've taught lots of students. It's no problem. I'm very charming, engaging, whatever. Um, and my <laughs> son was like, was like, this is going to be a disaster. He, he, he's like, you don't understand. These kids don't know what you're doing. And so he's like, so first of all, you can't tell them you're wrong. You could never say they're wrong because, because in the outside world, that's really offensive. They're going to get offended by that. You can't correct them the way you correct us. You have to like use different language and say, that's a good idea, but here's another way to put it. Or say, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it's he's like, like look philosophy at philosophy and going to another discipline. It's like exactly the same. It's like you're like, oh, I'm supposed to like thank people effusively for their talk before I tell them why I think they're wrong. I see. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then he's like, look, always look at the people in the back of the room. Keep an eye on what they're doing. <laughs> so he had all this advice for me. And, and by the way, he and the teacher were right because I was like, they kept talking. Like the students in the class were like oh, talking when I was talking. And I was like looking at them like, <laughs> Does that annoy you, it's my turn to talk. Yeah. I'm like, it's <laughs> my turn to talk. Like, can you behave? Um, oh, and it's Lord. like, yeah, these are fifth graders. Yeah, they are totally like a completely different species. I mean, I hate kids. That's another concern I have about parenting is that I do not like children at all. So mm. I just, I, what I wonder how. Say that? What? What do you mean when you say that? Like, what does that mean? I mean, I'm sure I that, clarify like, the any, question by repeating it. <laughs> any, no, I actually just did not hear what you said. So that was exactly what was called for. Um, oh, okay. I mean, at the risk of alienating like every social conservative who already kind of hates me. I mean, first of all, I just don't, <laughs> I don't have like the emotional reaction to kids that other people do. Like, I don't find them cute. I don't find them like uncute. I don't like desire to harm them. I just kind of, they affect me as people affect me. You know, some of them I'm like, oh, that's mm-hmm. a good looking person um but I'm not like wow what an adorable thing I have this like intrinsic urge to sort of like cradle it in my arms or something and then I also just don't know what to say to kids because the thing I'm just an obsessive person and I talk all the time about books and philosophy and I'm maybe kids are amenable to that or something like maybe something about their uh I don't know innocence or something would make them good philosophical interlocutors because they haven't been corrupted by society or something but I just don't know what to say to them 
And then I find their sort of screechiness and loudness like really viscerally annoying. And I've been told by many mm. people, I trust that it's different with your own kids and all of that. But like a concern I have is like, what if it's just not? Like, what if I just find them as irritating as I find other kids? So I think that I would separate the not knowing what to say to them and finding them annoying. Um, I think you will figure out what to say, but you may find them a bit annoying. Um, that is, so kids are, it's it's like, it's almost like very clear what it is to go onto their turf, right? So they have a turf of like, mm. I'm playing Legos and we're building this like Lego train station and we're going to talk about how we're doing that and how like the trains are coming in here and, uh, and that's what they want to talk about. And you might not want to talk about that. Like you might be like, this is a dumb, inane conversation. Um, but it's, it's, I think you wouldn't find it hard to like, at least when they're young to like get into those conversations. It's just like, yeah, it does feel a bit like being like a bit like being subordinated, I think like intellectually, because you have to talk to them on their level and that isn't your level. Um, I think that um, there that's counterbalanced by like, there's a kind of delight that you take in your child, in interacting with your child and in sort of watching them become over time, slowly more cognitively sophisticated. Like that's fun to you in a way that it isn't fun to other people. Um, so that counterbalances it. But I just do think there's like some of that thing where you, that's like, you do want to get away from your kids a bit and talk to like adults because you can have conversations you're actually interested in. Becca, did you have the same feeling towards dogs before Kafka? Or did you naturally yeah, always, always want to, like, I always really dogs. Um, I mean, I'm, like, the social conservatives, mm. like, caricature of, like, a career woman or whatever, you know, like, having dogs instead of kids. And maybe I'll have kids, too. But, like, I <laughs> dogs, too. Like, I do have all the sort of, like, physical urges to, like, touch the dog and, like, talk to it in, like, a silly voice that I just, like, lack when confronted with, like, a baby. Um you know, people are like, do you want to mm -hmm. hold the baby? And I'm like, absolutely not. Like, keep the baby to yourself. <laughs> I guess I don't feel, I mean, the impulse that I have to have children is not like the, it's not like I want to have kids because I want to hold the babies that I see in the park. I want to have kids um, because I, there are a lot of reasons. I guess I want, I want it because there's a certain kind of human knowledge that I feel like is just completely off limits to me. And I will never know unless I have that experience. And it's a really big mm. kind of human knowledge. It's like, there's so much of literature and culture that I, that I will just like never be able to understand unless I have this kind of love or this, this kind of boundness to another person. And the idea of not ever experiencing that just feels so, um, it, it, it feels so impoverished. So I really, really want that. Like that's something that, that really resonates with me. I think if I, I had thought of a better way to put my, my assumption that I would have kids, I would have put it the way you just put it to us. Yeah. It's all like, okay. it's, well, maybe not intellectual, but I curiosity is the reason why, I mean, I'm undecided about whether I'm going to have kids or whether I want kids, but insofar as I do want them, it's like largely a function of curiosity. But for a lot of people that I know, it does seem like a lot of what's driving them to want to have kids is some kind, like they love kids, like they love babies. And yeah. that plays like absolutely no part in my rationale because I hate kids. I hate babies. Like kids I and babies are really different. I hate them yeah. both. I mean, I okay. like different reasons. I mean, they're both like loud and shrieky and like neither neither is like reading Foucault and talking to me about it, you know, but of, of course, with my husband, I'm, <laughs> that won't be such a concern. I guess I don't feel, I mean, I feel like I, I do. I don't know if I like love kids. I'm not like one of those people, like my brother is like this, or I have family members who are like this, who are just like really, really good with kids and like can get any kid to like them and know how to talk to them and know how to play with them. And I have that, I don't have that. I have that like sometimes with, I mean, like I have nieces and I'm always nervous before I see them because I'm afraid I'm not going to know how to interact with them. Um, but like I do see, and I want them to like me. So it's like a kind of, it makes me anxious. Um, and usually it goes very well and then I'm very happy, but I never like, it's not intuitive for me. I have to work at it. And I do, when I see like kids on the street, like kids in the playground, I definitely do like think, oh my God, they're so cute. The same way that I think like when I see a dog, oh my God, they're so cute. But that <laughs> like, that, that, that like visceral response, oh my God, they're so cute has nothing to do with the way in which I want to have kids. I want the, like that, they're just completely unrelated for me. Hmm. 
I mean, there's lots of things that you what, can like, respond. There, sorry, I don't know if I'm like too far away from the computer or something. There are there's a lot of things that you could respond to with that sort of visceral reaction without like wanting to have it yourself. Cause like, I, I do respond this way to like animals yeah. of all manner, but I don't want, I mean, I like love horses, but I don't like want a horse. But when I see a horse, I'm like, I'm impressed by your majesty. Like I want to stroke your nose, but I don't like want the horse. <laughs> so it, it makes sense yeah. that those urges aren't connected for you. And that kind of makes me feel like maybe I'm not defective. Like maybe I should have a kid because it doesn't matter that I'm not like a kid lover in general. That shouldn't be what drives one to have a kid. I mean, I don't know if you should or shouldn't have a kid. I think that has to be up to you. But I definitely think that the if you should not, the reason you should not is not because you don't have like the visceral urge to run over to a child in a playground and like hold it in your arms. I don't particularly like holding <laughs> other people's kids, not because I dislike kids, just because like I, I, they're not that's not mine. Um, and it were, I, I'm like afraid that I'm not going to know what to do with it. And often like kids don't want to be with people who aren't their parents. And that makes me nervous. Like it makes me nervous. I've had people be like, here, hold it. And you know, I'm, I'm nervous because like that kid doesn't want to be with me. It wants to be with its mom. Um, and so it's like, but I don't believe that that response on my part, it means that I shouldn't be having children. It it might mean that like, I should control myself better or something, or I should be like, I should learn how to do this like social interaction better than I know how to do it this early. But like, the idea that that would mean that I shouldn't do this other thing that is entirely unrelated, I don't think I, like that doesn't follow for me. And yeah, the I mean, thing that, that I want to do that as related, like, it, it's just it's a common cultural trope, I guess, or like, even among people I know, it's just like, people will frame those two things as related, like, they'll say that they're, well, they're wrong, wanting, liking kids or whatever, which is always like, I mean, it's confused me, I guess. I'm like, why don't you babysit then if you like kids? Like, but that's like saying that you should, you should like read a lot of books because you like being seen holding them or like you like the smell <laughs> of them. It's just not this. That's not the, the project is like, it's like, you know, it's a long one and it's going to require a lot of energy and commitment on your part. And so the fact that like you viscerally want to pick one up doesn't mean that you necessarily know how to raise one. And there are lots of people, there are lots of, lots of people, basically any woman, any human who like has a visceral response that they want to like pick up a baby in the park is not equipped to raise a child because I don't believe that anybody is equipped to raise a child. So like everyone's disqualified and then you have to figure out some other reason to do it. It's not because you want to pick them up. I'm not a very like cuddly person and I'm not super into babies. Uh, and in fact, you know, I was thinking about the thing you were saying, um, Becca, about like the alien invasion of your body where like I was fine with being pregnant and giving birth, but like breastfeeding was just like something I was not interested in doing. That that for me mm-hmm. was like, it was like my body is like a tool to like feed another person, like gross. Uh, and, and that was also a thing where, you know, I was living in Berkeley and there was just this kind of incredulity about that, like to the point where this one time I was like feeding my son, like I was sitting on a park bench and just like feeding him a bottle and this woman walked up to me and she's like, I just want to say you're so brave that you're bottle feeding in public. <laughs> Oh my god! And I just, and my mouth just dropped open. Like she's like, I have a baby, and I, I always make sure that I feed him like at home so that people don't see me bottle feeding. Oh my god! Hell, is that still so, true? Are people gonna be mean to me if I don't breastfeed my actual <laughs> prospective baby? I said that somehow that's like this super touchy. This is an, this was like the, to me the Twilight something about. Uh, you know, that was this super touchy, super, like people were just really into like the breastfeeding question and getting breastfeeding help. And like, don't, you can still do it. And I had to get breastfeeding speeches about like how it'd be best for my baby if they breastfeed with each of my kids. Even though I'm like, look, I had two other ones. I didn't, bre- I'm not going to do it. You don't have to give me the speech. Uh-huh. And they're like, no, we're required by law to give you the speech. Um, and like, the thing is, it's just food one way or the other. And like, we don't go insane about what yeah. we feed ourselves or our older kids. And you know, but, but, the, but it's symbolic. It's somehow very, it it is invested with all this symbolic structure. And so there, yeah, you both get this thing of like me feeling like, you know, I'd just rather not like, t- like turn my body into this. And I, I get that other people do want that and that's great, but that was not something I was into. And then it was also just social, somehow that one really like tr- triggered people's sense of like, um, you know, policing. Um, uh, so, um, um, but I, C- Celeste, I feel like you had a question earlier. Did we get to it? Oh God. Oh God. What was it? Um, I don't remember what my question was earlier, but I have other questions like, 
um, what you were just saying about people feeling permitted to like come up to you and give you advice or feedback about breastfeeding. Were there other things like that? We were talking about the beginnings of pregnancy before. Were there other things like that that you encountered throughout, I mean, not just during pregnancy and not just during like infancy, but throughout motherhood that you weren't prepared for that sort of changed the way that you thought of the process and the way that other people think of it? I think I was just very surprised by the degree to which there were rules and the rules in terms of enforcement, you know, they're relatively laxly enforced and yet people follow them. Um, things mm-hmm. like when your baby goes to sleep, you're supposed to put them to sleep on their back. That's the new thing, right? Not on their stomach. Now, why? Because there's some infinitesimal reduction of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, when you put the baby ah. to sleep on their back instead of their stomach. But babies don't sleep very well on their backs. There's a reason why people put babies to sleep on their stomachs, right? So I'm like, okay, I looked at the research. I looked at, I'm like, okay, I think I'm just gonna put my babies to sleep on their stomach. Cause I, I know I like, I tried the back thing and my baby wasn't sleeping. And then I put them over in their stomach and like he slept three hours for the first time ever. I'm like, all right, we're doing the stomach thing. But I, I have a lot of pediatrician <clears throat> about that. I think it's like practically oh my illegal God. to put your baby to sleep on their stomach and no one does it. I mean like, and, and, and so, and here's a hilarious thing. Um, uh, when you put the baby sleep on their back, um, their head is soft. And so it gets these flat spots, um, these like sometimes quite big oh, flat yeah. spots. And so that babies these days often have to wear helmets to correct the flat yes. spot from having been put on their back. And I remember I would just tell the pediatricians for all my kids, like, oh, yeah, of course they're sleeping on their backs, you know. And then they were like, oh, they have these beautiful round heads. <laughs> and I would just be like, oh, oh yeah, God. I guess it worked out. Um, <laughs> that's yeah, that's so, so unexpected. I would never have thought to think that that was a thing. <laughs> right, exactly. So there's stuff you find out about that where, like, in life, you you make a thousand little decisions, right? About, like, oh, am I going to bike to school or am I going to take a car? Am I going to – all these little decisions that don't matter. And you and what if you were, like, well, if I walk on the street, there's, like, a, a one millionth of a percent chance that, like, I'll be hit by lightning. So I better not do that. Like, I better take the subway or something. Yeah. Like, you'd never reason like that. But people reason like that about babies. I mean, I sort of uh-huh. already do reason like that as just a highly <laughs> anxious, neurotic person. So I wondered if I have a child. I, mean, I, I reason like this about my dog, you know? I'm, like, doing hours of research about, like, the healthiest, like, kibble brand. Yeah, I'm sure do. that I would, be the, I would be the mother who would, like, put the baby on, on the whatever, like, make them wear a helmet. Yeah. I'm sure I'll, I, will, I will be like that. <laughs> put them on the back and make them wear a helmet. Yeah, right. that's funny. Oh, I remember what my question was now. Agnes, you have like you were you were like uniquely positioned to have like a lot of um support parenting because Mm -hmm. you have two people helping you do it um yeah was that was that like useful was it confusing ever do you feel like the division of labor is complicated what's that like it's just straight up awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, it's so, great. so great. Yeah, it's so great in every way. I, I mean, so some people and everyone's good at it, make, and everyone yeah, like everyone kind of falls and, into and, it naturally. And in a way, the most important part is that we're quite different as parents, and so our kids just get like different things from us, and they, you know, um, uh, actually, like even, even my oldest. Yeah. So, like, um, you know, my so like. My my youngest, like Ben, my ex-husband, he knows he can go to him when he kind of wants an exception made and he just wants someone to be nice to him for hmm. no reason. Oh, wait. And I'm sorry. We should explain to our listeners who oh, have yes, yes. the profile of you in The New Yorker what I'm talking about. <laughs> so I <laughs> live with my husband, that. Arnold, and my ex-husband, Ben. And uh, we uh, Ben and I have two kids, Abe and Maccabee, who are... Uh, 19 and 14 and then Arnold and I have a son Izzy uh, who's 10 and all and we all live together except for Abe is in college now so he's not with us but um um but uh the I feel like they yeah they get different things from different parents so they does um, everyone parent everyone or is there like a you're not totally equally okay no okay so so both Ben and Arnold do this both Ben and Arnold just just speak of all three kids as their sons and uh the kids just see one as his brothers wow that's very moving Um, I'm so moved by that (laughs) good for them 
<laughs> and I mean, partly it's just like I'm away now for 10 days. It would suck for Arnold or Penn if they were just by themselves with the kids, right? It means you never get a break. And then I would feel guilty about going away. Right. So it's way better. I do think that there's people who have their parents nearby. And I think that's awesome. Like that can be super, super big help. There's a bit more of like issues with your parents. Like you may, you may have like disagreements about parenting or whatever with your parents, but still um, I think that that's, that's like a comparable thing of having more like parental figures. I just generally think, yeah, it's just better to have more parental figures around. Yeah, that's totally this Um, book that I just read and my review of which will be out tomorrow is about various reasons that people don't have children. And one of the ones that it identifies that is compelling to me is like the sort of uh, hegemony of the nuclear family makes it very difficult to raise children in a way that it wouldn't be if we had more communal methods of child rearing, which seems completely right to me. So it's cool that you found a way to bring that into being even in a society that really fetishizes the nuclear family. Was there any difficulty socially in doing that, Agnes? Clearly. Yeah. People are everyone... being about the New Yorker profile. Yeah. And um, and that's just, you know, on the outside world. But basically, um, we when we moved in together, was it when we moved in together or was it when? No, I think it was when we moved in together. We stopped having any social invitations ever to anyone's house to parties oh, wow. or anything. Why? I think that it was like, so I, I, I don't think it was like some giant act of prejudice. It was sort of like this. All of a sudden, we're like a bit weird and like they're not sure what combination of us they should invite. And they can just invite someone else in our place to their party or whatever. So mm-hmm. we just stopped. Did that being invited. annoy which, you? R- it would really annoy me. Not at all. But it was striking. Like it was just like we suddenly became hard to process. I guess it depends right. how good your friends are. I sort of think, you know, like Celeste, like you wouldn't stop inviting me to parties if I had like multiple partners, you know, like I would be devastated and, and wounded <laughs> by that if you did that. But I, I imagine this is more like casual acquaintance. Exactly. I, would, I would be flattened inviting you to parties if you decided to co-parent with like more with more than one person and I was not on the list. I want you to know that. <laughs> parent Celeste. Honestly, that would be that would Smile be cool. that away, Becca. I mean, what did you move to DC for anyway? <laughs> But yeah, that does sound like the perfect solution because obviously, I, I mean, it just seems so clear to me that this is like too big a job for two people. And why would you, and like the idea that, I mean, the thing that people say, people being like my <laughs> the conservative community that I grew up in, not my parents who are excellent, but the thing that people say is like, um, it's not good for the kids because they need the traditional, like the, the traditional nuclear family. And it's like, the kids aren't going to know. The kids aren't going to be like, oh, I have too much support, <laughs> you know? Like, that's <laughs> not going to be the problem. And the idea that, like, everybody, I mean, everybody that Becca listed of the people who have bad relationships with their parents, they all, I would guess, they all come from traditional family structures. So it's not as if they're hitting it out of the park every time. So I just don't understand what the... If you figure not, If you figured out a way to do it better than the traditional way great because obviously the traditional way just typically doesn't work very well no the tradition i mean and also the traditional no. way is not really that traditional it's part of the point of this book i'm easily persuaded of this because it seems so obvious to me is that the nuclear family is a relatively recent innovation in human history kids were raised much more communally for centuries hmm. yeah it seems like the better option so yeah good for you this is like a Feel free to not answer this question. I'm just curious about it. How do you, like, how do the finances work? Is that logistically confusing? No, I- I'm happy to answer it. Um, so <laughs> it's Ben and I still have a joint bank account from when we were married. We just never split oh, wow. our money. And when I remember when I was, like, first getting divorced from Ben, this is one of the things that puzzled me. That This is, like, one of the moments where I'm like, wow, people are weird. So, like, I had all this advice about not divorcing Ben. People were very upset about it. They really didn't want me to divorce him. And then as soon as it, like, I, like it became clear that I actually was going to do it, they were like, okay, so you need to make a clean break. Make sure you separate your bank accounts. You know, you need to, like, not see him and not talk to him. And, and I was like, wait a minute. A minute ago, you were like, I should stay with him. And now, like, I have to, like, separate yeah. from him. That's a weird, um, uh, and so I just saw <laughs> Get it no, together, people. 
right? Um, so yeah, so like Arnold has a bank account and we never like joined them. And I just kept my bank account with Ben. And I mean, right now our finances are horrible because we have a kid in college. And so we're just constantly running out of money at the end of the month. But that's the state of our finances in terms of we're just bad with money. But uh, no, we just, um, we don't, um, I mean, we, every once in a while, like every like, like couple months, we lately we've had like a money conversation, but this is just like, how the hell are we going to survive till, you know, uh, this, um, uh, uh, um, um, it's not, um, you know, if we sometimes make group decisions about like things like, well, are we going to have our house cleaned every week or we've moved to every other week to save money or whatever. So we have like little family meetings mm-hmm. about stuff like that, but, um, none of us are very extravagant people. So, uh, it's not, it's not really an issue. Like we don't have a lot of money, but that's not because that. one of us is extravagant. I I really worry about the money part of like raising children just because the logistics of it terrify me and because I am like not going to marry a rich lawyer. So it does that part really does scare me. It just how do you Yeah, it's crazy expensive. It? I mean yeah, another thing that this book says, which is persuasive to me, is that one of the reasons why birth rates are declining is not because like people are like despairing about society or any of this bullshit. It's just because it's enormously expensive and there's no like material support for it in this country. Is it more expensive than it used to be? Yeah, I think it is more. I mean, like college is way more expensive than it used to be. That's true. Plus the yeah. people are more sequestered in like nuclear family type structures. Um and the cost of living has gone up. So it's like no longer possible to have like a single career family. Not that that was great for the women who were like the de facto caretakers anyway, but at least it was possible for only one person in the family to be a wage earner and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's scary. Yeah. But Agnes, that wasn't like a thing that ever dissuaded you. It was just like a thing that was going to be terrifying and you deal with the terror as, as best you can. Yeah. And like babies are not very expensive. Like, well, so I, I was, like, I was a grad. Nah, I was a grad student. And so I was like, there was like a program in California called women, infants and children, where if you were below a certain income level, which I was, they gave you free baby formula after oh, giving awesome. you a lot of lectures about how you should rather be breastfeeding. But I sat, I, met, <laughs> I sat through them and then got the program. So that was great. So I got like free. It wasn't quite enough to cover how much he ate because my baby was giant and he ate so much. So I still bought some, but still that covered a lot of it. Um, and then if you're breastfeeding, obviously it doesn't, that doesn't cost money, but you know, it's still your time. And then of course there's still like the apparatus that you buy. I think the thing that's expensive is basically being physically being separated from your baby so even to the level of like a stroller or something right you have to buy that because yeah. if you want to hold your baby that's Aren't free so you want your baby yeah they are they are expensive so 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 but you i bought i bought bought every stroller i've ever owned used on craigslist because there's always like people selling their i bought everything used uh for all of my kids okay. uh on craigslist and it wasn't it, um it that like rendered it inexpensive or like less expensive I mean, it was affordable on a grad student, two grad students. Okay. Um, uh, That's true. So That's I true. think. God, this um, makes me feel so much better. Wow. Um, Childcare is what's expensive. Yeah, I was about to so, say. Again, spending, spending time away, getting away from your kid is what's expensive. And then college, unless you, unless your kid's going to be in debt, which like they probably are because none of us are. What other the kind of job we have? We have our- it's not being in debt, but like if you're paying for even like some other college, like that's really expensive. If you want them, like their schooling might be expensive in various ways. Like if they go to public school, you might need to live in a more expensive neighborhood in order for them right. to go to like a public school that you think is good. Did you? Or you have to. Did your kids go to public school, Agnes? No, they go to private school. They go to the University school? of Chicago. They they go to a private school that's like connected to the University of Chicago. Uh, Does that where give the University you of Chicago pays, yeah, so the University of Chicago pays 50% of tuition. It's still wow. crazy expensive, and we we still, like, spend most of our money on that. And the University of Chicago pays it? 75% of college tuition. I, You know, I wish I, I knew, but you can, like, look it up. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know, but it's some, it's like most of our money goes to, like, paying for the kids, you know, schools all taken together. 
And then also like their That's medical terrifying. care and stuff. Like if something, I mean, I guess if your work has really good like health insurance and it covers your kids, that's good. But like, for example, when I was a graduate student very recently, three weeks ago at Harvard, like our health insurance was terrible mm. and we like, didn't have dentals. So if I had kids and they like needed braces, like I would be footing the entire bill myself. And like, that's the kind of thing where like, you really are going to feel bad if your kid like needs braces and you just like don't do it. So that kind of, that does freak me out a lot. Yeah. I mean, I had a kid who needed braces and probably my second one's also going to need them. And, you know, you eat, I mean, dentists, like they, they always have like payment plans. <laughs> so that's what you end up doing. You end up spreading, spreading it over like a year. And, um, it's, it means you I, can't do other stuff. I mean, it, you, you travel all less, like it's just cut into other How are you going to put do. them all through college? How are you going to do that? Oh my God. Sorry, just, no, just, I, I'm just pretending I don't have to think about it. Like I, I'm, I'm I also, I'm so, I, they don't have to go to college. I'm insufficiently anxious in general. And like, uh, people are asking me about like, my kids going to college. And like, I literally hadn't, I had, we had no plan for this. We're just like, we're just wait. We had no like savings or, you know, other people I know, like they have like whatever special savings account for college. And uh, yeah, no, it's just like, I don't know, somehow like talk to me in, you know, 10 years and ask me how I did it. I will. We'll reconvene in 10 years. <laughs> we'll have like a, we'll yeah. have a part two. The epilogue we will be about. Share our anxiety. I'm like already yeah, anxious about you and I will be doing it. Kid to college. I'm like, oh my god, just thinking about paying, paying more tuition is giving me an anxiety attack. <laughs> oh my god, I know. Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, all right. Well, this was this like made me feel better. Becca, do you feel better? <laughs> I feel better about I some better. things, but not everything. I mean, I, I feel like I. What I kind of suspected or maybe knew deep down has been confirmed, just kind of just like, you can't really have any idea what it's going to be like unless you do it. And so there's not a great way to make the decision. Yeah, yes. I feel good about <laughs> us announcing our, our um, co-parenting group, though. This is the official announcement to Liberty subscribers that we will be raising our children together here in D.C. <laughs> I mean, that's cool. That actually... <laughs> That does make me feel better. Like the idea of like that does make me feel better. Up. Yeah, it makes me feel better. <laughs> All right, Agnes, thank you so much. Becca, do you have any last questions before we allow her to stop answering them? No, we can discuss further at dinner over drinks. Okay, <laughs> that's bye. when I give you the yeah, real knowledge. Necessary now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, bye. Thank you. Bye. bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. A reminder that the first Liberties Interintellect Salon will be with Benjamin Moser on May 7th at 2 p.m. It is free to subscribers. If you are not yet a subscriber, head over to libertiesjournal.com and correct that condition.